everyone. Welcome back to Climate Conversation Podcast, episode five. I am Sophia, carbon consultant here at Climate, and I'm joined by CEO and founder Guy Dickinson. Hey, Guy, how are you today? Good, Sophia. Um, so in today's episode, we're going to discuss about carbon offsetting and carbon projects. So I'm going to start this episode with a bomb. So okay. I'm going to go straight into it. <laughs> so I think that most people or a lot of people have this negative perception about carbon offsetting. So the way they see it is that it's only an excuse for not taking action. So what are your thoughts on that? People who don't want to take action won't take action. Let's just start with that, right? So yeah. it, that that is absolutely the, the central premise. And we can't make everyone do what they need to do. At the end of the day, carbon projects exist because someone wants to take action. They are actually a form of pure action. While in its isolation, is if it is a way for someone to offset something for a dollar, which they make $200 from, I would completely agree. If there are credits out there that you can buy for 50 cents and you're making a Gucci handbag with them, then you should probably take a good hard look at what you're doing. It's just always like everything. It's about finding the balance in that regime. So a lot of this comes down to the frameworks for which are open to companies to use. And that's where the transition from uh, non, non-compliance markets towards compliance markets or uh, emissions or carbon border mechanisms, which are going to be a real thing very soon where countries effectively will make you pay for carbon that you haven't already offset within your own supply chains domestically, that is materially going to change the way carbon markets are priced. So I think if we think about the the amount of um, stress that the carbon markets have felt, it's coming from a it's almost like the far right is holding hands with the far left. This is not, nothing operates there. If you think about all sort of politics out there, most people don't operate in the far right and the far left. They operate in the middle. Carbon markets are about dealing with the middle. Now, most of the energy is being used by the middle. Therefore, to have a mechanism which covers some of that off as a way to do some good while we're still working out whether we're going to force the good through emissions reductions... I'm all good for that. I'm absolutely fine with that as a concept. But we must make sure that the carbon credit itself has additionality, that it's actually captured carbon, that yep. it's helped the people that it said it was. It get it. comes back to that notion of don't bullshit anyone. This is really about being honest and true to the mission. And there's going to be good, there's going to be bad, and you need people to help you navigate that. Yeah, And I guess like if you wouldn't be proud to talk about it, don't buy it in the Correct. first place. <laughs> don't start, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... Well, I don't think a lot of our listeners know, but Climate has one of the largest portfolios of uh, carbon projects. So I think a question here is, where does the money go? Like if they buy a carbon credit, like how does that help the project? Like where does the money go? It's a great question. And I think probably the the best example of that is indigenous carbon credits in Australia. Yeah. Um, Now, first of all, they traded a premium. They're more expensive um, because they are actually generated on traditional owner land, and the revenues are all going there. And there is a there is a a large demand for people to do good in that space. Um, so there is more money flowing to the indigenous groups because of the fact that they're indigenous groups. Ironically, they actually just make the best credits. So yeah. that's where the premium comes from. It's not because 
they're indigenous. They just happen to be indigenous people who do carbon credits as well. And they do it better than everyone else a lot yeah. of the time. And I think that's lost a lot of the time. So if we think about um, where does the money go, there could be a group um, in Cape York that is doing savannah burning. I, they do early season burning to stop larger fires later in the season. Yeah. That stops a lot of carbon going into the atmosphere. That has outstanding biodiversity benefits. It has large cultural benefits. It helps to capacity build on the ground. So gives that, them employment. That money gives yeah. them pure employment. All that money, it's been run by Indigenous for Indigenous. Yeah. And that's a big difference here. This is, this is not about a charity. This is a proper business. This is capacity building. This is wealth giving. And that's where the finance goes. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing. So one of the things you can do with a carbon credit before it's retired is you can sell it you can buy it and sell it to someone else now for all the credits that are non-indigenous you can do that and it doesn't affect the value if i bought an indigenous carbon credit for 50 dollars and i sold it to someone else and then he sold it to someone else the value will go down because someone's taking a clip on that journey whereas if i go and buy that carbon credit for 50 dollars and retire it that's the point of maximum value yep. because all that money has gone to the indigenous group and that really means a lot. So climate, direct climate finance for Indigenous credits or credits that have a lot of social bearing or, or great social outcomes, or SDGs as they're known as, they really do command a premium in this market. Um, and I think, you know, that's where the money goes. And if we talk about technology credits on top of that, the solar farm, you know, if a solar project started in 2015 when credits could not have been oh, sorry you wouldn't put that solar project on because it didn't make financial sense at the time yeah. that carbon finance was enough to get that solar project up and running that's really important you know that would never have happened without that financing off the yeah. back of it so we need to remember when a project started when it finished make sure you're not buying a project which is already done and expired that money will go credit. no that will go no it's a ghost credit don't buy yeah. ghost credits um, they're quite popular for a lot of companies in the past and we think that that actually will come back to bite a lot of companies yeah. um, and we're not afraid to let them know that there is a better way forward yeah. and I think actually there's some changes coming in Climate Active yeah. shortly which will push companies into better quality credit. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to know that it goes beyond that a transaction. Yes. It's actually helping those communities. Um, definitely. So I'm going to go with another controversial question here. Um, so I think there's been a lot of media reports in the last 12 months around projects in developing countries like Africa, Papua yep. New Guinea. Um, because there's not often enough information given. So what can you tell us about this controversy and how is that? What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Um, each country is different. Each country may, may run its own clan-based mechanisms. So, you know, these are developing nations that generally will have low urbanisation rates. There's a lot, not, not great education, um, high, you know, um, child mortality rates. You know, for instance, the, um, the average life expectancy in Papua New Guinea is 42 you know, that's, that's pretty bad. And most of that is brought down because the, so many children die at birth. Um, so, you know, they, they all have their own challenges. And one of those challenges is someone offers you free money, you say yes. Now, that is the common um, term of a carbon cowboy. You know, as people come in and, you know, here's some quick money for you. And they're like, great, give me money. And whatever that means after that, I don't care. They're subsistence a lot of the time. They're living from, from hand to mouth. And that's completely reasonable for them to do that and for them to accept that deal. 
but it's not completely reasonable for the person who offered that deal knowing that that is their culture. So what we need to move towards is away from this concept of quick fix. There needs to be free and prior consent and informed consent until they understand what it is, the project that they are buying into. They're not allowed to sign into it, right? They, They have to understand. They almost have to explain it back to me. What am I buying here? What am I buying into? And at that point, that developer knows that they understand that the deal works for everybody yep. over the medium term. So we had a period where this was not being monitored. Um, people from all sorts of countries were coming in to places which were impoverished um, with outcomes which were mixed. Some of the outcomes were more mixed than others. Some of them have still captured all the carbon they asked. Um, but they're also very difficult places to operate. Most of these countries, um, barring Australia, that sit within a carbon ban south of the equator, are developing nations with corruption indexes north of 110. Yeah. You know, so when you, you know, not many countries want to deal with those countries in the first place. So if you're choosing to buy cheaper credit from those places, be aware of the risks. You knew you were buying into a, a country that had very high corruption index. There are ways to mitigate that, but. Doing it blindly because it was a cheaper credit is not one of those ways. Yeah, um, So look, it, it's it's a it's a technical landscape, and you need to dig into the, who de- who the developer is, what are their principles, have they been through this before and demonstrated yeah. good outcomes, and then that is a great place to start from to move forward. And I think it all goes back to a first episode where we talk about transparency and transparency Correct. is key. In, in if you can't market. find anything out, don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so one last question. Yep. What do you reckon is the most frustrating part of the carbon markets or you know, um, yeah. project development? I think it's this concept like open source architecture for software, right? It's this, everyone gets to use free apps and all this sort of stuff. It's the opposite in carbon. People think that they have you know, this right to a certain method. And, and actually, if there was ever a, a concept of open source that should exist, it's in the... It's in this space. Surely it's in the environmental space where we all are connected. We are all connected to the environment, yet you have uh, players who are trying to control certain aspects of things which shouldn't be controlled. So I think that's my biggest frustration. I think that's where we look at, you know, even our calculator. You know, we we want to get people on that journey in a, a frictionless manner. And even that is is something which has been protected yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. So for us, it's it's really about that frustration for me is people trying to hold on to something which should be more open source. Yeah, I agree. Well, that was very insightful. Thank, Dad. You. thank you so much. And I think that concludes episode five. Yep. Um, well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening and looking forward to talking to you in the next series. Thanks, Sophia. Cheers. Bye.